this opportunity to be gathered again, God, we just pray that you help us this morning. God, whatever that means, whatever that may be, God, we just pray that you help us in every condition and every time. We pray that we would be those that are poor in spirit, God. We pray that we would be those that mourn and mourn well and mourn properly. Lord, that we would be meek always. That we would be hungry and thirsting after righteousness. That we would be merciful. God, that you would help us to be pure in heart. And Lord, that you would make us to be peacemakers. And that, Lord, should we be persecuted for righteousness' sake, oh God, Father, would we recognize that even though we be reviled and have all manner of evil thoughts against us spoken, oh God, Father, may we rejoice and be exceedingly glad, knowing that our reward is great in heaven with you, oh God. And Father, that it would even be an honor that even as they persecuted the prophets and they persecuted you, if we should fall into that normal, it would be nothing but the normative experience of a Christian life, oh God. Father, may we rejoice and be glad and be reassured in these things as well, oh God. Father, we thank you for everything that you've given us. We continue to pray for the missionaries. We're blessed to be able to support. We thank you for Brother Tony and Sister Teresa, God, as the work they continue to do. We thank you for St. Jude's children and what they do, Father, for Hope's Children Homes, what they do, and God, we thank you for the CCC as they continue to work in our local communities here just to see others helped and, Father, to be able to help somebody else along the way and whatever that may be. And God, just to give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple of yours, oh God, Father, not as of ourselves, but as just belonging to you, Father, that we steward that which you have given us. God, we continue to pray that you would be with the Tim's family as they mourn their loss, God, as we mentioned last week, Father, we pray you wrap uh, Sister Sandra and her daughters up in your arms of comfort this morning, oh God. Father, we pray for others, God, that are being wed this afternoon. We pray in so many things. We pray for so many revivals that are going on in this area. Father, we pray that you lift up every one of these meetings to you, God, that they would not merely be a series of meetings of God, but that, Father, the gospel is preached faithfully, and that, that Father, all souls are brought to you, Father, we would always pray that, but God, we pray that you get a hold of us Christians too, oh God. We just pray that you get a hold of us that have already professed faith in you, God, that we would live our lives evermore to your glory and everything that is said and everything that is done. God, again, we pray that you be in the midst of this service. We lift it all in thy son, Jesus. And this morning, if you will, turn with us to Galatians chapter 6. To Galatians chapter 6. Again, a few weeks ago, we had somebody mention, said, I think we're going to hit 6,000. And I can, with confidence, already tell you, we hit 6,000 chapters read in Galatians. I, I think we might be close to 6,500. I'm not sure if we hit that number, but we're going to get a few more chapters to collectively today as we read the entirety of Galatians chapter 6 together. This morning, I just want to say thank you all for your faithfulness to read and be washed through the Word of God. And I'm just going to say it again. I know I've been saying it. I'm so thankful to know that we're a congregation that is reading in the Word of God. That is a particular blessing, but not every pastor I know gets to be able to say that. There's a lot of worrying. There's a lot of wondering. But here I can know, based on tracking this, I mean, that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it for the Word of God that's made me washed. But what a benefit and what a comfort it has been. But this morning, Galatians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Due to the length of the reading, I'm not going to ask that you stand, but uh, let us uh, reverence the Word of God even as we read the Word of God this morning. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law Christ. 
For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto the them who are of the household of faith. Verse 11. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a fair shoe of the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again in light of the word. Father, we thank you for this glorious book that you've given us, God. Not even mind the depths of it by any means, O oh God. But Father, we're thankful that we've been able to walk through this book so far, God, that you have guided us. Each and every step along the way, God, we just seek to rejoice and be glad in you always. We seek to be changed and transformed by the reading of the word that it would be grafted into us, that it would bear fruit in this new season, God, that truly we would be, as James has spoken, God, that we would not be only hearers of the word, but that you would make us to be doers of this word, God. Even as we see in this blessed section this morning, God, we give you all the praise and the honor. We pray that you feed your lambs and feed your sheep, getting all the honor and glory in your name. We pray in thy son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. If you talk about the book of Galatians to anybody, it's been funny to me. I've talked about it to some and just in passing conversation with people. And you say you're in the book of Galatians and everybody's like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And it amazes me. I don't think anybody knows anything else from this book. I don't know why it is. It just seems to me that nobody else seems to know much of this book. They're like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit. I love the fruit of the Spirit. And I love that the fruit of the Spirit is there. But I was listening this week, and somebody was describing, I think it was Stephen Lawson that was describing the preaching of Jonathan Edwards, one of the great American minds, one of the greatest American minds that has ever existed. He wound up being the third president of Princeton University as we know it to be, but it was back in those days to where it had started as a seminary. It was actually its first purpose was to teach people the Word of God. It had started essentially in a log cabin, and then it became a university, and then Jonathan Edwards, that magnificent preacher, uh, of yesteryear was the one that took on the presidency of it. Didn't last too, too long as president of it, really and truly, but he died in that office, but he was a prolific preacher, and they kicked him out of the pulpit more than once. They kicked him out of his own church 
just because of what he was preaching. So this is the caliber of preacher that he was. And Stephen Lawson describing the preaching of Jonathan Edwards remarked that he always had three sections. I'm not that talented, so y'all don't get three sections every Sunday. I'm much more like St. Clair Ferguson. We just work everything in at the same time. But he always had three sections. He had what he called the exposition of the text, which is working through the text, helping us to understand what are the structures of this text? What is this text saying? But then he had the second section, which was the doctrine of the text, which is saying what does this communicate to us about God? What central teachings and truths of the church are held here that we need to know? So that was section two. The section three, he said, well, what he was really just doing in sections one and two was just loading up his cannon that he was about to fire in section three. And that was his application. Beloved, I submit to you that Paul, in some ways, has been doing that. Paul has been correcting the doctrine of the church. He's been correcting the behavior of the church. That's what he's been doing. He's been loading his cannons, as it were. And last week, as we were walking through the fruit of the Spirit and, and concluding that part of chapter 5, yes, it is a glorious thing. But, y'all, we have to have chapter 6. It doesn't end with the fruit of the Spirit. All that Paul has done in so many ways up until this point. Yes, he has been correcting. Yes, he has been showing through the example of relationships, but he has just been loading his cannons into what we find in chapter 6. If you have been with us so far in the book of Galatians, take heed to chapter 6 because it tells us on the basis of all of this, knowing all that we know, we are ready to fire. And beloved, even though I went to my brother's alma mater where he graduated college from, and it was always fun on parade days because they were going to fire those cannons and you would see that smoke rolling across. Beloved, these aren't just smoke-filled cannons. This isn't Miss Tara's daddy's cannon that we're just going to fill with a bunch of smoke. No, this is loaded for actual combat. This is loaded for actual critique. That, beloved, everything that he has been doing in the book of Galatians has been preparing us for the responsibility that we have. And the responsibility that we have begins like this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If a man be overtaken in a fault, if you see somebody that has literally been overtaken in a fault, and that word overtaken is just that way. I don't have to go to the to the original languages to search that one out. That word overtaken, you and I know what the sense of that is, is that somebody has been overtaken in a fault. It is that they are so ingrained in it that they are dwelling in this fault. They have been overtaken by it. It is something that has captured them and taken their lives captive. And beloved, they need somebody to reach out to them because they don't realize it. They've grown blind to it and they don't even know. Somebody said the Febreze commercials from years ago used to always say you've grown nose blind. You don't even know what, st what stinks in your house anymore. And the story that when they were selling, uh, when they were first started selling Febreze, they gave it to this lady that had like 30 cats. And you can imagine how putridly that house smelled. And they went into her house and barely could make it on the porch. And when they got inside, they thought they were going to absolutely die just from the smell of it. They, they, it was a terrible smell. And as they got in there, they said, well, have you been using the Febreze we sent you? Because it was a new thing. It was unscented. They didn't know much about it, but it eliminated odors. It was this really cool thing that they had on the market. And so they look at it, and they give this exam. They said this lady, they said, have you been using it? And she said, it doesn't work. And they're like, what do you mean? She said, well, I tried it, and it doesn't work. Everything smells the same. And she said, there's no bad sin in here. I don't need it. Obviously, she had grown nose blind to this. And Febreze used that in their marketing later on down the years of saying that somebody has grown nose blind. They don't know the bad sense. I'm always concerned about that if you come to my house, honestly. If you step in the door of my house, 
house. I'm like, it's probably going to smell like coffee because I make a whole lot of that at the house, but I'm just making sure because I don't want it to have a stench. When you walk in this building, sometimes we've had a musty smell before and where we fought some mold and some mildew issues. Beloved, there's something about it, but if we're dwelling in here all the time, we don't notice what's going wrong. Somebody has been overtaken in a fault, and they may not know that they've been overtaken in a fault. It's become such a problem in somebody's life, and yet they don't know it. Beloved, there are neighbors, there are loved ones, there is somebody in your life that may have been overtaken in a fault, and they need somebody to casually come along and just help them to understand. Beloved, all that we've been through in the book of Galatians is not that we would sit here and do nothing. All that we've been through in the book of Galatians is that we would sit and act differently. If we've been learning anything from the book of Galatians, surely it is that there's an otherward focus of all of this, and, and that's going to come to bear in the rest of this text. But, beloved, the entire reason that you're living your Christian life is you have a personal responsibility to God, no doubt. But we have a responsibility to one another. If you'll recall the early problem, especially that we began to dwell into in chapters 1 and 2, and that Paul used 3 and 4 to straighten out, and then 5, he really loaded up the cannon for here in chapter 6. But in chapters 1 and 2, he was breaking down the fact, especially with Peter, what Peter's problem was. Peter had been eating with people. Peter had been eating with his neighbors and gathering with all of these different people. All of these non-Jews Peter had been gathering with, yet then all of a sudden the people from up in the big city James, the brother of Jesus, it appears to be the one that would have been, as we understand historically, he was likely the big guy over there in Jerusalem. That's where his church was. He was kind of the central church figure of the early church in that era there. And when he came down to where Peter was, that was the thing. When he sent fellows down from there, that was the big church coming down to the little church. And that was you want to put on airs. You want to make sure everything looked right. You had a dignitaries that were coming down before you. You want to make sure everything looked right, everything smelled right. And I submit to you that it had been any of us, we would have been doing the same thing. Somebody, if we had some great and known person, if we had some great and known preacher coming in, I'd probably have a different demeanor about me. I'm not going to lie. I think about brother, Dr. Mike Beckwell, if he was to come in, I would be honored by his mere presence showing up. It would be an honor to have him. Something would be different. But let me never preach another gospel because that man comes in through these doors. And beloved, let me never live another gospel just because somebody else walked through these doors. Peter may not have changed what he was saying. I don't have record of where much of what Peter said was being changed, but I have where Peter changed his actions to where Peter had been meeting with all of these people. But when the big leagues come in, when the big dogs come in, Peter stops eating with all of them, and he'll only eat with the Jews. When somebody comes in that seems to be a little bit higher of the chain than him, per se, somebody that's got a little bit more air about him, about them than what he does about himself, he associates with that, and he changes his behavior so as it communicates a different message from the gospel that he preached. Beloved, let us hear this. Your words matter. They have never not mattered. The words that you proclaim, and if you're going to share the gospel with somebody at some point, you're going to have to share the gospel with them. At some point, you're going to have to use words to communicate what is necessary. I don't want to downgrade that. I want us to always be mindful of our words are critical and important. But oftentimes to where we lead our where we lead others astray is with the life that we live. Are we setting up so many barriers so that we're not communicating the gospel to somebody else? Are we putting up 
so many barriers in our life and saying, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Have you become such a stick in the mud, so to speak, that you want to look a certain way, you want to act a certain way, that you're never going to associate with somebody that needs the gospel? Do you look to the Samaritan? Do you look to the one on the side of the road? Do you look to the one, and you're not the Samaritan, but you're all the others. You're the priest that passes by. You're all of these other things that pass by because every one of them knew that passed by him. They knew that if they touched him, they too would be unclean. They knew that if they got near him, something about them would change. They knew that some of the, that dirt, that uncleanness would be cast upon them. And that's the problem that Jesus had, that when people were coming to Jesus and there was reaching out to him, somebody would say, don't touch him, because the difference was if they were to touch somebody, they would be unclean. If it was somebody that had an issue of blood and they were to touch somebody else, they were to touch one of the other Jews in the city, they would have been deemed unclean. So when everybody is seeing somebody touching Jesus that is unclean, they're looking at him saying that he should be unclean. But the difference with Jesus is he was never made unclean. He was one that made them clean instead. Beloved, some of us are so worried what it might look like to reach out to somebody that's an unbeliever, to reach out to somebody that's in brokenness, somebody that's been fallen, somebody that has been overtaken or fall. Some of us are so scared what it's going to look like for us to go near them that we don't want to touch them because we might become unclean. Beloved, I submit to you that if you've been born again, you're just the one that they need. You're the one that is spiritual because it does say, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken or fall, you which are spiritual. So that tells me there's a qualification before you can be somebody that goes and talks to your brother or sister. There is a qualification that must exist before you go to somebody that has been overtaken in a fault. You must be spiritual. He's firing the cannons here. He loaded it up with everything else in the book. He loaded it up especially with his letter at the end of here with the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, if ye which are spiritual, beloved, it's not enough, as we talked about last week, that you just don't do certain things. But are you living as Christ? Are you modeled in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Are you modeling those things? Are you living according to that standard? Or have you changed because you don't want to be associated around somebody? Is there somebody that's broken in your life that you just don't want to go near anymore? Has somebody said something? Has a friend confessed something to you that you're like, I'm just not going to be around you anymore? And that's my way. Beloved, there comes a time for separation. There is shun the very appearance of evil. There are verses in the Bible that communicate to us. There are certain things that we're not going to dwell in. But sometimes, y'all, we're just too scared for our own good. We're like Peter. We don't want to be mistaken for being one of them. It's not that we want to look like Jesus. It's just we don't want to look like we're one of them. We're not worried about modeling Christ as much as we're about trying to model the other people in our life, the people that we look up to, the people that might have a certain position in life. There are certain people in there that we must model after. I'll never forget, I was watching the show that involved a president and a governor. And the president had kind of lost sight of who he was and what he was doing. He was still the president, but he was kind of taking a back seat to the governor over there. And his press secretary comes up to him and says, and the press secretary says, no, sir, you need to know that you go first. You need to know who you are. Beloved, sometimes you need to be reminded who you are. Do you know what Peter needed to be reminded of? Peter, you're not a Jew. You're now a Christian. You now belong to Christ. Do you know what we need to be reminded of when we're in situations like this? Is that you belong to Christ. That is one of the greatest reminders that we have is that you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, you ought to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, you ought to be one that is spiritual. You ought to be one that can go and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. It's not in the spirit of haughtiness. It's not in the spirit of browbeating. How many times Christians try to have meetings with others where all they try to do is browbeat people? 
All they try to do is beat them down and just talk to them harshly and do everything else. Some of us have faced times and situations to where that's all any other Christian wanted to do. There was no meekness whatsoever. Beloved, if we're trying to restore our brother or sister, if we're trying to restore somebody, it's got to be done in the spirit of meekness. It cannot be done with arrogance. We need to understand the brokenness of the situation so that we may approach it with the gentleness with which we need to. That meekness is power under control. I don't suppose that my grandfather has ever called it breaking a horse. I don't reckon we ever broke a horse. I reckon we trained a few horses, but to break a horse is a terrible thing. To break a horse carries with it an entirely wrong connotation. That horse needs to be trained. That horse needs to be properly trained. There are some things about it. That horse is not going to want to come under the yoke. That horse is not going to want to come under the saddle. That horse is going to be. And how many times, I've seen this man over here, how many times he would work with a horse for hours and hours and hours on end. And it never failed to amaze me how gentle he could get a horse to be. A horse would seem to be wild, but he could walk up to it and that horse would be gentle. He had a touch with horses and it's always amazed me that touch that he had with animals in particular, how he could go to them. Beloved, that picture of him with animals should be the picture of us with other Christians that have been overtaken and fall. We should do so with meekness. We should look to our other Christians who are going astray and who may be trying to handle a situation not doing it in meekness, and we should get them to do it in meekness. <laughs> there needs to be the spirit of meekness about us when we go about correcting these things. We don't go in guns blazing. Love it, we do begin to fire the cannons. And if we have loaded them with the right ammunition, they'll hit well. They'll hit their true form. What if they don't come back to Jesus? What if there's somebody that's actually lost that we thought they were part of us, but it turns out they never were with us from the beginning? Beloved, there will be some of those. There will be some that we thought to be among us, and that turns out they were never among us to begin with. Beloved, there are some that are, will be separated from this from time to time. But also notice what it says in verse 2. It continues here as he's just firing in this repetition. He says, Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the first things we ought to be willing to do is to take up and bear one another's burdens. The man that I still, that I have taken the calling as my pastor is, is Butch Tan. Some of you know him, some of you don't, but it is Brother Butch Tan. It amazes me. I heard somebody else talking about him and when they were his pastor and, and this person remarked, said it was always amazing to me whenever we had a church work day or something like that, he was always right there with you. He wasn't just standing off to the side and not doing the work. No, he was one of the lead guys on the charge. He was up there and he was lifting whatever it was. He was mowing. He was cutting. He was doing whatever the work was. That was the kind of person that he was. Is This has been an example. He would bear somebody else's burdens. Sometimes, do you know what we need to do to bear one another's burdens? We have a problem with this. Sometimes we need to sit down, shut up, and just listen. I don't know about y'all. I don't always do too well on that one. I want to fix things. I want to make sure we can fix things. I want a solution to things. There's a solution somewhere. If you'll just listen and work hard enough, there's just a solution. And sometimes all that they need to be able to bear that burden is just somebody to listen to. And that can be hard for us to do. We love to bear one another's burdens. When we're bearing somebody else's burdens, it's probably not going to be easy on us. It might be a burden to us too. That we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to help each other out. If we see somebody struggling in here, we need to take care of them. We need to pull up beside them and just help them. They may not be overtaken in a fault. It may not be verse 1. But in verse 2, we're also so supposed to be bearing one another's burdens. And so we fulfill the law of Christ. What a blessing it is to help bear somebody else's burdens. And then in verse 3, it says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. 
For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Sometimes in the church we get a feeling that we're better than what we think. We, we get a feeling that we're better than what we actually are. We think we're a little bit higher up on the higher chain than what we actually are. Peter, for some people, though I might would take disagreement with this, but I might go too far down that road. Peter is often considered what they thought would be the first pope of the church. Some people, W.A. Criswell in particular, would argue if anybody was the first pope, it would have been James up there leading the bigger church, leading the church in Jerusalem. If you just look at the historical setting of it, it would have been James, not Peter. But even still, Peter was one of the highest positions, and even Peter got wrong and Paul had to call him out on it. Peter began to think himself better than the rest of the Christians. Beloved, can I tell you, you're no better than any other Christian except me. From the oldest, most mature Christian, you're no better than the youngest, least mature Christian. None of us are better than the other. Sure, some of you have a more mature faith than what others do. I've met some people that are up in their 90s that are not mature Christians. They've been a Christian all their life. As long as they remember, they've been in church and everything else, and yet they are not mature Christians. But for that one that is mature, that might be mature in their 50s, mature in whatever other decade of life that you may want to call it, that doesn't make them any better. I always think about my big mama. Now she was she was a she was a loud Christian. I mean that she was she was just a loud Christian. She had a loud testimony, but y'all she was no better than her sister who was a quiet one. Now me mama was very quiet, but the, both of those two ladies were Christian ladies, and you could talk to both of them. I'm not going to tell you big mama was any better than me. And I just always called her me mama because that's what everybody knows. That's my aunt Rachel, but I called her me mama too. It always amazed me at the example. I still see them sometimes as they would sit in this building. I still see them. My big mama sits where my mother sits now. And of course, my mom, she would sit on that second row right behind. I still see that in my head so many times. And I think about those examples of big mama was no better than me mama. Me mama was no better, better than big mama. Both of them were Christians. One of them had a louder testimony than the other one did. That was fun to you. But y'all, I sure did enjoy getting some of big mama sometimes. I just learned it from that lady. Learned from that lady's quietness. That gentleness from all of these things, and I can tell you about my special memo. I don't think she ever thought she was better than anybody in this world. It's amazing to me. I heard this week the story, a story of Billy Graham and talking about, especially in his later years, that he, the place where he lived actually had there were gates and there were there was actually armed guards and such that there there was actually a little bit of a presence that you had to go through gates in order to get to where he was. And I understand all of that with the man and the personality that he had. There was probably some security measures that needed to be taken. I have no doubt of that. But it's amazing a man that had stood with so many presidents and sat with so many presidents and other prime ministers and other world leaders in all of these things. He was such an humble man. Everybody that I hear talk about Billy Graham and his later years of life in particular, they talk about how humble of a man was. But he never thought himself to be anything. He had sat with all the kings and all of these people in the earth, but he just knew that he belonged to the king of kings in the world of Lewis. He was just as humble with them as he knew how to be. What a public story. What a private story. And there's stories all in between that we don't think ourselves to be something when we're nothing because, beloved, we're not deceiving anybody else. It says he deceiveth himself. In verse 4, he continues, it says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Mind your own business. Take care of your own things. Do what you need to do. There is a role that you have. You need to be obtaining to your role. You don't need to be trying to live somebody else's role. You need to be doing what you need to be doing. You need to prove your own work that you may rejoice in that. It says in verse 5, it says, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. I just read verse 2. Did I not? Here's verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. But verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So which is it, Jesus? Which is it, Paul? Which is it that we're supposed to do? Is everybody supposed to be mounting his own burden? Am I supposed to look at you and say, No, that's your burden, bear it? No, if I see you bearing a burden, I need to come up underneath you. Beloved, and sometimes you may have to ask for help. But beloved, you need to be bearing your own burdens. You don't have to go but you, you don't have to go look at somebody else and tell them to bear their burdens. They, they got enough of them. You don't have to go browbeat somebody and tell them you're not doing your job right. Now again, if somebody be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of meekness. Y'all see some of the complications of this. This is not an easy text. This is something that's complicated. Is that, yes, you're supposed to restore them in the spirit of meekness. Yes, you're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But yes, everybody is supposed to bear their own burden. Beloved, sometimes the Christian life is confusing. It ought to be that there are simple truths that we cling to. But sometimes things get confusing. Relationships in your life get confusing. You don't know how to interact with this certain person anymore because the nature of the relationship has changed. But what has never changed is that you still have the burden. You still have the responsibility to act as a Christian. You still have the burden and the responsibility to act in the spirit of meekness. You still have the burden and the responsibility to act in accordance with the fruit of the spirit. Beloved, we never shut that burden. That is a burden that we bear day in and day out of our lives. He says, come, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He didn't say, come, there is no yoke. Come, there is no burden. But he said, come, my yoke is easy, and my burden light. Beloved, the burdens that we bear as Christians, when we bear them in Christ, turn into lightness, not because they're easy things to handle, but because we've got one that's bearing the load with us. I love that story of, of Spurgeon. I've shared it dozens of times here, but I love that story of Spurgeon. Somebody looked at his weekly calendar and they said, Dear, Dear Brother Spurgeon, how do you get all of these things done? He said, For there is always two working. There is always two working. The reason that we're able to bear the burdens is, is that Jesus is bearing them with us. That if you have the burden to look like the fruit of the Spirit, don't worry. It's because His Spirit is dwelling in you. Beloved, sometimes we say these are hard things to do. They are. Sometimes it's hard to live lovingly. Sometimes it's hard to live in meekness and temperance and gentleness and all of these love, joy, peace, all of these different things, all of the different fruit of the spirits. It's hard to live in these things. And yet, beloved, Jesus helps us along the way by his spirit. And if you've got brothers and sisters, you know that they're going to come along and help you bear those burdens. You know the best thing you may be able to do somebody. Again, if somebody wants to overtake them in the fall, help them. If somebody needs a burden to help carry, get beside them and help carry the burden. Sometimes they'll think. Sometimes they're not up there. But beloved, it's our responsibility to one another. I see here that Paul communicates this can be complicated sometimes. Sometimes I'm not convinced we're going to know exactly what to do. Now, y'all may, I don't know, y'all may turn me out for that comment. Sometimes I'm convinced God puts a situation in our life and he doesn't tell us what we're supposed to choose. Sometimes I'm convinced that he puts a situation in our life that we don't know which way to go, and that's the whole thing. God's trying to teach us through that. He's trying to teach us how to figure out some things. I don't know whether to go with choice A or choice B. I don't know, Jesus. They seem just as good. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which one way to do, which way to work it out. But, beloved, I can tell you that we've learned from whichever path we cross. We learn from whichever way we go. Sometimes I'm convinced that God is the one that puts a lot of forks in our lives for us to choose one way or the other. But can I promise you this, that he still got us either way. 
love that old poem by Robert Frost. It's taken. It's been taken the wrong way. And if you there's some readings from Robert Frost and how he meant for it to be intended and how he meant for it to be received. But you know the poem, the two woods diverged in the yellow wood. And if you're like me, you had learned it in eighth grade. And as soon as I got out of it, I, I, I forgot it. That's just the way that I do. But I love that part of the poem where it says, "And I took the others just as well." And I found out, and I can't remember the rest of it, but he says the path was just as worn as what the other one was. He said, I figured out this road had been traveled just as much as what the other one was. Robert Frost was trying to communicate one thing, and we were like, well, I took the road less traveled what most people try to say. And he's like, that's not the point of the message. The point of it was that both of them have been traveled equally. So, beloved, whatever option that you have in your life, whatever choice that you have set before you in life, beloved, if you look and live in the Spirit of God, either choice is probably going to be okay. There's a better choice sometimes. But beloved, sometimes he's given us a complicated decision. Sometimes he gives us hard decisions to know. Sometimes I don't have the answers that I want to have. But beloved, he gets us. He gives us his spirit. And beloved, if you'll live in the fruit of the spirit, don't worry, it'll work itself out. I don't know some days what I'm supposed to do the next day. Right now I'm in a job that I don't know what I'm going to be doing that day. I'm going to show up and I, I I don't know what I'm going to be working on. Every once in a while, I don't know. But I just got to keep on showing up. I don't know what God's going to do. Miss Terry heard me last night. Y'all, I didn't know which way this was going to go last night. The problem was last night, most Saturday nights, I got a pit in my stomach that I just can't get rid of. And by about 9, by about 7.30, about 7.30, not even 9, by about 7.30, my mind is just totally engaged on where we are Sunday. My problem was last night, it was 10.30, and I didn't know it. But you know what? I found that if I just keep showing up, God seems to praise. That if I just keep pushing forward, God seems to be present. This morning I woke up and I had more clarity about this text than I've had all week. I listened to chapter 6 probably 75 times this week. Just trying to get it ingrained in me. And beloved, sometimes God doesn't make it clear to Sometimes God doesn't make it clear until after the fact. Can't tell you how many sermons I preach that all of a sudden every Wednesday I'm like, oh, that was the point. That was the point I missed. Beloved, it is a grand and glorious thing when God fires his cannons upon us and we know these things. I'm not done yet. It says in verse 6, it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches them all good things. If you know something, help your brother out. If you know something, I don't. I'm teaching you. In verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You've heard me mention him much. I've been listening to a bunch of his sermons, in case you can't tell. But Brother Stephen Lawson, he'll often use this example. He said, you were young and you sowed your wild oats and you prayed for crop failure. And I thought about that sometimes is that we've sown to the flesh. We've sown to things that we shouldn't do. And, beloved, I'm not against praying for some crop failure on those things. But, beloved, we better know that that which we sow, that's what's coming back. If you sow good things, good things should have come up. If you sow bad things, bad things are going to come up. If you sow to the flesh, beloved, bad things to the flesh are going to come up. Corruption is going to come up. But I praise God the promise that is given to us, that if you sow to the Spirit, that you're also going to bear the fruit of that. That if you're sowing love, joy, peace, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, against all these things if that's what you're sowing that's what you're going to reap if you don't know what else to do just be faithful to continue in the same things that he has given us for we shall reap 
those that sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's some things in this world we're never going to see. It didn't end perfectly, but I had an aunt who prayed for years that her son would be in church. My knowledge, he's never professed hope. My knowledge, he's never been born again. But in her lifetime, I don't reckon he ever came to church. But when she passed away, he started coming to church. She prayed that prayer for years. She went home to, to I believe, to be with the Lord. Not seeing that her prayer had been answered. Yet he is in church to this day. His wife's been saved, his daughter's been saved. He's still got a son. Would you join me in praying for those two? Would you join me in praying that the, that the husband, that the father, and the son would be saved in that family? That God would draw them to himself, and it amazes me. She didn't live to see that, and yet it still bore fruit. There are some things in our lives that we sow that we're never going to see the fruit of in our life. There's some things that down the road we're just never going to know. Y'all have heard me share the stories many times. I love the stories dearly about the missionary that he went down into this into this indigenous people group and he started communicating to them and he started preaching to them faithfully the gospel and he even wrote a, a, the New Testament at least I think it may have been the whole Bible but I think at least the New Testament he figured out how to write down in their language so that they would have a copy of it and he left it for them and when he left there he didn't see a single convert he spent something like 20 years down there and he never did see a single person come to Jesus he never did see a single person in that people group come to know Jesus in the free part of sin as we call it. He never saw a conversion. He went home. He came back home to the United States. He died. He never saw the fruit. He never saw it. And yet, a generation later, 50-something years later, somebody goes down there, a group of the missionaries goes back down there to that country, and they begin to look, and they say, wait a minute, there's a bunch of Christians here. It's funny, they even had church buildings that look like church buildings. They had never been outside of their people group, and yet they knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first generation was not receptive of it. But the second generation said, we found the book that man left. And we began to read it. And then we trusted in Jesus. That man, had he not done that, I don't know if that village would have seen conversion. I don't know if that village would have been converted to Jesus in the way that it was. What a powerful and a mighty example. He never saw the fruit of it. But it still bore fruit in your life. Never be afraid to serve the Spirit. You may never see it reap. You may never see the harvest of it in your lifetime. Beloved, some of us plant, some of us water, but God's the one that gives the increase. It's not about who does the work, but it's about the, the work that's done. It doesn't matter sometimes who put every little part of my car out there, who put every little part on that truck of mine out there, but I sure am thankful for that assembly line. I sure am thankful they did their job well. Now, I've had some things break on my truck, but I, I've not just been driving down the road and everything fly apart all of a sudden. Sounds like there's people on that assembly line did their job well. I've never met them, probably never will meet the people that put my truck together, but I'm thankful for those people. You may be sowing something in the Spirit that you're never going to know, that you're never going to know the impact that it had, but somebody is going to reap the benefits of it. God is the one that gives the increase in this new season. In verse 9 it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Beloved, it is easy to grow weary. It is easy to grow weary in well-doing. But, beloved, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I pray of you that you would not faint in this world. In verse 10, he says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. 
Beloved, there should be something to say, that we should have a closeness about us. There should be a community about us that when somebody's hurting in here, when somebody needs something, when somebody needs some good to be done to them, it ought to be that those of the household of faith that we're close enough to, we ought to want to do good unto them. There ought to be a special connection. But he also, he also did say all men. He said do good unto all men. He doesn't qualify that they must be born again. But beloved, there is something special about those. We take care of those in the household of faith. There is something special about that. But beloved, we're supposed to be doing good unto all men. In verse 11, Paul begins to wrap everything up. Here's where we'll conclude this morning. He says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Again, some people think it's because Paul was kind of rough of seeing vision. They think that Paul couldn't see that well, so they look at Paul and they say, well, he was writing in big block letters, and I'm like, I don't think that's what it was. I think that it was an early letter of Paul. It was in the earlier ministry of Paul, and he thought this was a long letter when he, this was a long-winded letter, and then he wrote the letter of Romans at the end of his life, and then he actually knew what a long letter was at that point. He thought Galatians was long, but turns out Romans is really long. There ought to be something for us to be said in the Christian life for us. I ought to know more 28 than what I did at 18. You ought to know more now than what you did when you got born again. You ought to. You're no more saved than what you were then, but you ought to know more. You ought to be living a closer life with Jesus. There ought to always be a growth. My grandfather, I'm not going to call his exact age, but my grandfather has made it to his ninth decade of life. He better still be learning, even if he's not paying attention to it. He better still be learning. I'm not giving him any excuse. Till the Lord calls him on to glory, I'm not giving him any excuse at all. But that he still needs to be learning in the things of Jesus. As long as I'm alive and you're alive, I'm going to be doing the same thing in your life. You need to be learning more about Jesus. We need to ever be coming to a greater knowledge, to a greater understanding of these things, but pure and higher, someday we shall see. In verse 12, he says, As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Beloved, they don't care whether you're keeping the law or not. They just care whether you look like them. They care whether you act like them. Let it never be said that Shedrod has a certain aesthetic that we're trying to keep up. I don't care what the aesthetic here is. If we got to reupholster the pews and reupholster the carpet, if we got to repaint the walls, I don't care about any of it. If we change the light bulbs again, I don't care about any of it. I'm not worried about the aesthetics over here. I don't want all of us to look the same. I want all of us to look like Jesus. And honestly, that might look a little bit different in your life than what it looks like in my life. The way that you live for Jesus. Now, you're not going to be going committing sins that I'm not committing. No, 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 no. We're not excusing sin. Beloved, you may be able to reach a group of people that I'm not able to reach. Do you know, I, I forget the statistic, but do you know that the way most people are wind up coming to church and the invitation by the pastor is only like 6%? That like 80-something percent? of the way somebody winds up showing up to church is because one of y'all invited somebody to church. It's not what the pastor did. Now, the pastor's not without inviting people to church. I'm not excuse myself. Amen. But if we see people show up, it's because you all are out there doing the work. You all have different jobs than what I do. I don't think anybody else in here is a real estate appraiser. I don't think anybody else is doing that work. We've got two in the legal field here. We've got one in there. We got one that builds airplanes for a living. We got some that work with cities. We got some that work with multiple cities. We got some that are educators, some that are retired. We got all kind of walks of life in this small congregation. Love y'all can reach somebody. And y'all can reach somebody for Jesus. And Jesus can use them. But don't be asking them to look just like you. Ask them instead to be looking like Jesus. 
It's not that we should glory that they look like us, but that we should glory that they look like God. In verse 14, he says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither there circumcision, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. It's not whether you circumcise that flesh. It's not whether you're following that law or not. It's whether or not you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. I praise God that the old nature dies and that the new creature, the new nature is created within us. That the nature of the first Adam has to die within us. That the nature of the final Adam, that is Christ Jesus, that it may live within us. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. For five chapters he loaded up the candles. In chapter six, he fired them in the neighborhood. Beloved, they get true. Pray that they bear fruit in your life. There needs to be something that we do. There needs to be a change in our lives. I pray that you don't come to church unchanged when you leave. I pray that you don't read your Bible every day unchanged. We've read a whole lot of chapters in the book of Galatians. I sure am thankful because I've missed plenty of the sermons. I've missed every one of them as far as I'm concerned. But you know what you did mess up when you read his word? His word. Praise God that we call it in faith. It is in there. It is without error. And it has been preserved unto our generation. And blessed hope that we may read the things of God. That we would not only be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. That we would live in the spirit. That we would live personally for God. But that we'd live to have another in our lives. Father, we thank you for this glorious passage that you've given us, this glorious book. Many errors from me along the way, but God, not in your word. Father, I pray that you confirm your word within us again. Just pray once more that it bears fruit in our lives. God, that you would reap the harvest of it in your due season. Father, I pray that we would not look like one another, that we would not look like the other Christians down the road, but that God would look more like you and that we'd share with somebody else who you are. That we would not glory in the flesh, but that we would glory only in your son.